Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? Are you doing okay? I'm glad you're doing okay. I'm doing great. Uh, all of uh, our campus pastors, some of our other staff, multi-site staff, uh, had the opportunity to go to uh, the Spire Conference this last week in Nashville. It's been a long time since we've been able to do that stuff because of all the lockdowns and things like that. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting how you, you get that thirsty feeling because it's been a while since somebody else really poured into you and you got to hear some fresh things, some fresh bread being baked, you know, some fresh water delivered. And uh, and so you may see a smile, all of our locations on their faces. And I just want to say to all of you, thank you for letting all of them go and to have that time away where they could uh, just experience that. And I, I really enjoyed it as well. Not just hanging out with them, but you see people that, you know, you've known for a long time. And uh, um, I saw this one uh, lady that uh, was a girl last time I saw her when I was at Bible college. She was there. And uh, uh, I remember her marrying a guy there at Bible college and found out that he had had a sudden heart attack and passed away four years ago. And so she's dealing with the loss of that, you know, able to share that with me and and just hard to hear that, you know, thinking about that. And uh, another uh, lady came up that I went to school with and I have seen her since school, uh, but uh, shared with me that her husband's who's in ministry, his cancer's returned and it's metastatic and doesn't look good and just asking for prayers. And so I'm seeing, uh, I'm seeing people that I care about in loss, seeing people that I care about in pain. And I spent a little time with a ministry friend, he's about 11 years younger than me, from Arizona. And he has to carry oxygen with him and he needs, he's on the bottom of the list for lung transplant. And uh, you know, the, the uncertainty of that and the fear of that. And you know, I, I can't experience a thing like that. First of all, without thinking that you know, my problem is I don't have any problems. And, uh, you know, I need, to, I need to quit complaining because there's some people that are really dealing with some hardships in the world around me, number one. But there's that other part that I think we all share that is like, how is that fair? How is that just? Why do those things happen? And I bet you there are a number of you that feel that same way right now. I would really like for you to concentrate on your blessings and maybe looking at that in a new way in your life as we hit this final week of the series, But Now I See. What we've been doing is exploring what the Bible says about how I see the world and myself in that world. And the series began with Clayton giving us an incredible message on creation and how differently we see this than the world that is around us and what they teach us. Then I shared with you what it means to find your identity exclusively in Jesus Christ and how that translates into value and joy and peace, and all that being produced because of that identity. Then Clayton shared what we were uh, that we were made holy when we came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we're not trying to pursue it, we were provided it, and now we live out of this reality of imparted holiness. 
He showed us that we, uh, in the next sermon, that uh, we're not alone, but we're actually surrounded by a spiritual world as well as a physical one, and it's inhabited by beings that are very mysterious to us. And then last week, I shared about how Jesus has authority over us, and it's in that authority he calls us to live daily in the Great Commission. And when we do that, there will be specific callings that occur in our lives that, that we can uh, follow up on and that God will just enrich our lives with, but that won't happen unless we're living in that commission. And today I'm going to finish up the series with a look at the rules, the rules that we're supposed to live by, God's moral law. But before I do that, I want to start telling you a story. I was eight years old when I came to faith in Jesus Christ personally. And uh, my Sunday school teacher had a lot to do with it. My dad had a lot to do with it, but so did my mother. And I remember my mother telling me a story. Now, this was 53 years ago, okay? So it's not really a politically correct story. So just hold on. It was 53 years ago and it was my mom. So lay off my mom. Anyway, she told me the story of a one-room schoolhouse. How many of you ever heard of a one-room schoolhouse? That's where all the grades are together in one room. They have a single teacher from five to 18-year-olds, right? And this particular one-room schoolhouse she told me about was had an incorrigible group of students. I mean, they were terrible. They were so bad, in fact, they could not keep a teacher. Teachers would just get exasperated with how terrible and unruly these kids were. They'd just give up. And eventually, the community put their heads together, we've got to figure something out. And they heard about a teacher in a far off city that might be able to do something with this particular school. And so they employed him to come. And sure enough, when this new teacher came into town and went to that one room schoolhouse immediately, everything was as it was before. All these kids completely unruly, uh, little girls having their pigtails dipped in ink wells, uh, kids fighting, Stealing, all kinds of bad things going on. And so the teacher got the attention of the class just for a moment. Back then, we didn't have iPads and, and uh, iPhones. What we had was a thing called blackboards and chalk. Anybody ever hear of chalk? Yeah, not a stylus, chalk. And so the teacher said, we're going to do a special exercise this morning. I was wondering if you would like to make your own rules about this school. I told that to all of the kids. How would you like to make your own rules? And that got their attention. They quieted down for a minute to hear what, what is this. So who wants to give me the first rule and I'll write it up here on the blackboard. That little girl who was getting her pigtails dipped in the inkwell said, I don't think anyone's pigtails should be dipped in inkwells. So he writes that up on the board. No dipping pigtails in inkwells. Anybody else have a story? One little boy said, before I come to school, I'm little, and these uh, older boys, they bully me, and they fight me, and they, they do that when I come to school, when, I, when, I, when we're out in the schoolyard, when I go home. So I don't think there should be any fighting. So he wrote, no fighting, no bullying. Another one talked about something that he brought for show and tell one day, and and uh, somebody else wanted it and just took it, just stole it from him. And so the teacher puts up on the board, no stealing. And it wasn't long 
until every available space on that blackboard was filled with rules. And then the teacher said, okay, now we have all these rules. What happens if we don't, if we don't obey these rules that we've made? What happens if someone violates these rules? There needs to be some sort of punishment. What do you think a good punishment would be? One little girl put up her hand, said, I think someone should have to stand in the corner, maybe for an hour. Another girl said, I think it ought to be all day long. I think you ought to stand in the corner all day long. Somebody else said, wow. I think you should be, your parents should be told and you should be grounded for a whole week. Wow. Another uh, a child said, well, if somebody tells my parents, I'm getting a spanking when I go home. So I think there ought to be a spanking. Somebody else said, I think you ought to use a paddle. Somebody else said, who was an 18-year-old senior, said, when I violate the rules, my dad takes me outside, makes me hold on to the, to the, the rail of the, uh, of, the, of the fence. I have to take off my shirt and he whips me with a horse whip. And then there's silence. People are like, whips you with a horse whip. How many times has he hit you with a horse whip? Ten. Teacher says, anyone else? Nobody could top that one. So he wrote in that last available space on the chalkboard, anyone violates these rules, whipped with a horse whip ten times. Boy, did that class become a good class. <laughs> Nobody violated those rules. It was their rules, and they had their punishment. And, and, and the, the students started learning, and the teacher started teaching, and the environment was incredibly good. And you know what I'm going to say now. Until one day, my mother said, 18-year-old senior male held up his hand because that was one of the rules. You had to hold up your hand if you wanted to ask a question and be called on. And he says, somebody stole my lunch today. And you know what the teacher did? The teacher does what all teachers, I think there's a whole class on this, started walking up and down the rows, looking at the eyes of the students, pointing and saying, did you steal the lunch? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Did you steal the lunch? No, no, no. Did you steal? No. Did you? No. Did you? No, no, no. And as the teacher went toward the front of the class where the smallest and youngest children were seated so they could see over the heads of the older ones, he noticed that one of the little boys was already crying. Particularly small, scrawny kid. And by the time he got to him, he didn't even have the opportunity to ask the question because the little boy, with tears rolling down his face, said, I stole the lunch. You see, I saw that big 18-year-old kid, and he's so big, and he's so strong, and 
we don't have a lot of food in our house, and I was so hungry, and I saw that, and I thought, well, he's not going to miss one lunch, and so I, I stole it and I ate it. Teacher's got a big problem. Would you just hold on to that? I'll finish the story in a little bit. Before I finish that story, I want us to understand what's going on. We live in a world full of people, and those people need to have rules in order to have justice. Would you agree? Now, there's plenty of laws out in our world, but many of those laws don't have any, any justice at all attached to them. Matter of fact, they're completely foreign to this idea of justice. Well, what do you mean, Jerry? Well, let me give you one. Ready? This is one you've all heard before. The law of the jungle. How many of you ever heard of the law of the jungle? Nine. Nine of you. I didn't really count. But this is what that law states. The law states that the strong survive and the weak don't survive. It's a pretty harsh law. I remember before I moved uh, uh, to Illinois, when we lived in Indiana, I had a great big giant chocolate lab named Clifford. And he was such a good dog. He, he was so well behaved as a dog. Except for there was this one time when I was mowing the lawn, and while I was mowing the lawn, it exposed a little rabbit's nest. And there were baby rabbits. And I saw my loving, docile, wonderful dog do indescribably horrible things to those baby rabbits. Picking them up in his mouth, throwing them in the air, killing them without mercy, and had a daughter who was out, and she's right over there, by the way, was out in the yard, saw that happen, and was traumatized. And I can remember trying to explain to her the law of the jungle, that it's not fair, that it's not just, it's just is. Well, there's more laws. There's the laws of nature. Have you heard of the laws of nature? And there's no justice in the laws of nature. We see that in when we watch about hurricanes or tornadoes or floods or famines or earthquakes. You know, those things don't pick certain people and other people it leaves out. There's no justice. There's no fairness in it at all. It just, just happens. Law of the jungle, the law of nature. And when I was in high school, I learned something called the laws of physics. You ever heard of the laws of physics? No justice in the laws of physics. I remember learning about the first law of thermodynamics and the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics is the law of entropy. It means that things tend toward disorder. Any of you have a junior higher? If you have a junior higher, you know that things tend toward disorder, right? Yeah. You know, metal rusts, wood rots. If you have a question wondering if things tend toward disorder, do you remember when you used to step out of the shower and you'd look at yourself in the mirror and you'd go, oh yeah, uh-huh. And now, probably not even a good idea to have a mirror in that room. You hear what I'm saying, right? 
Your body wears out. And, and if that isn't enough injustice for you, so does your mind. And I, I would imagine some of you have stories of people that you know that were just so sharp and so there and so together and then dementia happened or Alzheimer's happened and it tended toward disorder. The laws of physics are not fair. They're not just. And when you think about it, apart from how people are supposed to interact with each other, there's really no justice at all. Now take people, though. Do the laws that people come up with actually create justice or fairness? Is the fact that something might be legal, does that make it moral? Does that make it right? Or does that make it just? Maybe it would be good right now to hear about the women that are and how they're being treated right now in Afghanistan under Sharia law. Maybe it would be good to take a look at how Uyghurs are being treated in China while they go to re-education camps and suffer genocide under Chinese law. Maybe we need to be reminded about how Jews were treated under Nazi law that, that as far as they were concerned was perfectly legal. Or how blacks were treated before civil rights laws or how Christians are treated under perfectly legal laws all over the globe right now that persecute them. <laughs> when you come to think about it, maybe we're operating more under the law of the jungle than we'd like to admit. And then there's God's law, God's moral law. Moses records that law in the book of Exodus and Leviticus. And the hallmark of that law is called the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to read them to you right now. Exodus chapter 21, verse 1 to 17 says, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your animals, any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that, it may, that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. 
You know, there's this beautiful simplicity in these laws. And when they are followed to the letter, they create true justice, fairness, harmony, and peace. But they are not followed to the letter. They are not followed at all. And because they're not followed, there needs to be punishments assigned to them to maintain their meaning or at least the pursuit of justice. Now, God's law is like a coin that has two sides, like a heads and tails. The first four pertain to how we relate to God, and the last six pertain to how we relate to one another. And Jesus summed it up when he was asked, what was the greatest commandment? In Mark 12, 29, he says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So what Jesus does is he not only sums up all the commandments in how we relate to God and one another, he reveals the motive that's supposed to fuel the obedience to the command. And that motive is love. It's not just to obey God, it's to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, that's the exact spot where we have a big problem. You know why we have a big problem? Because we like to pick and choose who we're going to love and who we're not going to love. We like to pick and choose who the winners and the losers are when it comes to our lives. I'm going to treat this person this way, but I'm going to treat that person that way. And it was the same problem the lawyer who asked Jesus the question had when uh, he like tries to come back on Jesus in the book of Luke. He asked this question, well, then who is my neighbor? Let's, you know, maybe because some people I can love and some people I don't have to because they're not my neighbor. Jesus responded by telling him the story of the good Samaritan. And every Jew had been instructed to hate Samaritans. And he used the Samaritan as the example of who your neighbor is and who you're supposed to love. You know, the moral of that story is that we don't get to choose who we love and who we don't love, who deserves justice and who doesn't. Because this is how all people are supposed to treat each other. And that is where it gets complicated for us. We've all broken some of these commands in our lives right? And the truth be known, we've broken them all in our hearts. You know, Jesus, he expanded on these commands. And we all have that problem in our hearts. And it's a big problem because to be guilty of one is to be guilty of all of them. I know that because of James chapter 2 verse 10. James writes, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So that's why Jesus came to earth. That's why he came to me and to you. That's why we recognize that he's here today because he knows this about you. He knows you're guilty, knows I'm guilty. Now we might not think that we're guilty of everything. Come on, I'm not, I haven't done all that stuff. But we are all equally guilty, and the reality of that demands justice and punishment. So this beautiful, perfect law 
that is designed to bring us justice and peace only shows us the reality of who we are and what we deserve. And the thing is, this is what that law was meant for, to show us that we needed something greater than it to satisfy justice and to exemplify love, which is the motive behind all these rules. See, the law needed something, and it was created intentionally without it so that it could be provided later. What the law needed was fulfillment. And Jesus was and is that fulfillment. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus said, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The greatest beauty of the law is in how Jesus came to fulfill it. And that's exactly what he did when he died on the cross for you and for me. He canceled our debt. It's actually the word that he used when he said, it is finished. The word is tetelestai, which means literally paid in full. In Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes, he forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to a cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." Now, every one of those commandments in the Old Testament are in some way repeated in the New Testament. And what Jesus does is he takes us further and deeper into the motivations underneath those commands. Now, we seek to obey God's commands, not to get him to love us, but as a response to the fact that he already loves us and that he has proven that love in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Jesus was on the eve of his death when he gave a command to his disciples in the upper room. It's in John 13, 34. It says, a new command I give you, a new one, a new command. As I love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Some of you might go, well, wait a minute, that's not a new command. He'd been commanding that the whole time. That you're supposed to love each other, love God, love each other. No, there's something new there. When you first read it, you think it's the same thing. But if you look a little closer, you'll find that not only is love the greatest commandment and the motivation behind every command, the new thing he says is, I want you to love the way I love you. Oh, fail. Because he's going to illustrate what that means inside of 24 hours, right? The depth to which Jesus loves you is the depth to which he would be willing to go to a cross on your behalf. And he's asking you to do that? Now that's a revolutionary command. And it was his love that motivated him to do it, right? And what he did for us and our greatest response to what he did for us is to live in that love and in the obedience that flows out of that love. Now, I really want to thank you for putting up with me to say all of that before I finish this little story that my mother taught me. Remember, I talked about a one-room schoolhouse 
And I left you with a teacher that's in an impossible situation. The rules have been established. The punishment has been prescribed. The rule has been violated and the guilty person identified. But to follow through on that punishment is going to kill that little kid. And without the follow-through of the punishment, justice will be gone, and so would the school. So what in the world can the teacher do? In a desperate move, the teacher scans the class, looks over his entire class, and asks this question. Is there anyone willing to take the punishment for this little boy. And in the last row of the room, a big strapping 18-year-old senior with tears streaming down his face from whom the lunch was stolen says, I'll take his punishment. And he went to the front of the class and removed his shirt and was whipped in front of them, taking the punishment for the little boy who couldn't. And then I understood what my mom was trying to teach me. We've stolen, we've coveted, we've lied, We've lusted, we've disrespected our parents, we've hated, we've disregarded God, we've used his name to curse, we've put every other thing on earth before him. We stole the lunch. We're that little boy. We've made our excuses our rationalizations, our comparisons, but in the end, we're still just as guilty. And then the one who has been cursed, who's been marginalized, disregarded, disrespected, steps forward and says to the greatest of all authorities in the universe, I will pay the debt. Give me the punishment because I love that person. And when we see it, When we see it and realize that he did that for us, that he did that for you, that he did that for me, I don't want to steal any more lunches. I want to live in obedience. I want to live in obedience instead because it's my response to how much Jesus loved me and how much he loves me still. Moreover, I want to treat others the way I've been treated, not by them. Not by them, but by the one who loves me that much. Because I was blind. But now I see. I want all of our campuses to stay with us as we move to this time of decision. Like I've said many weeks up here, there's a lot of new words that are floating around. A lot of words floating around in American culture and culture in general right now. They mean a lot of things, but let me tell you one that's rising to the top, and that is 
justice. Justice, right? And then we, we qualify it. We put a qualifying word in front of it, right? Social justice, racial justice, all these, all these different words that we use to qualify the word justice because you know what we want. You know what everybody wants today? We want justice. Justice. Can I tell you right now where you can find it? Where you can find what you long for? Where you can find where your heart desires? Hold on. I know what you think. That's not what I'm going to tell you. If you want justice, you need to go to hell. Because that is a place where justice is. That is the place where people get what they deserve. The Bible says that everything you ever did, every thought you ever had has been recorded in books. There is nothing that has gotten around God like he didn't know that you did it. And it's all been recorded. Justice? That's what you want? That's what I want? Justice? You know what that means, don't you? Because the word that goes with justice is condemnation, damnation, hell. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want to be treated the way I deserve to be treated. I don't want to pay the debt that I owe. I want to be treated unfairly. And if you want to see the ultimate injustice, if you want to see the ultimate unfairness, now look where you're supposed to look. Because I see that on a cross with a man who has taken a beating for nothing because he did nothing but love us. A man who stretches out his arms and has nails driven through his hands and feet, who's beaten within an inch of his life, who's humiliated, spat upon, cursed and reviled for nothing that he did. I see one lightning rod absorbing all of the injustice of the world so that he could give us the injustice of grace. Because what grace is, is treating us in the way we do not deserve. I don't want to be treated fairly. And what Jesus does is he holds out this precious thing with his nail-scarred hands and says, I paid it all so that I could give you something you don't deserve. And he wants you to see the world that way. Not to 
Look at the people around you that have hurt you, abused you, made a victim of you, and perpetrated things on you, but to see him, to see him. Love each other as I have loved you. To be treated unfairly and to be immersed in grace so that I can in turn treat people unfairly and extend that grace. This is what makes us who we are. Some of you are here today and you have never come into an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're still chasing things that aren't real. And you think that the things that you're chasing, that that's going to fill up the empty places of your life. But it's not. Because you were designed as a perfect place for the one who solved all of our problems, the fulfillment of the law to reside in you. You were designed with that place inside of you to let him be. And if you've never come into an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ at all of our locations, there's gonna be people up front that would love to talk to you, pray with you, and let you experience the victory that comes from what Jesus did. And let me tell you this, no matter what you've done, and I know some of you've done some whoppers, so have I, no matter what you've done, don't tell me that what Jesus endured on your behalf wasn't enough, because it was enough. And for those of you that are believers, you know what you do. You know what, I know what I do. We live in the rationalizations. We live in the comparisons. We give ourselves permission slips to pick and choose who we're going to like and who we're not going to like, who we're going to love and who we're not going to love. And we become smug in that. We feel like, you know, in our own self-righteousness. You know what I'm saying, right? Why don't we come up here and get on our knees and say, okay, Lord, this is a pretend game. Like I'm the person who's supposed to give justice to this person by being bitter or angry or hateful or whatever. And I need to be thinking with a whole different set of thoughts. And I need to turn these over to you. You're carrying things and they're heavy and they're weighing you down. And Jesus has said to cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. He said, come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And when you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. 
all of our locations. I want you to stand right now and let's, let's speak to the only one that can give us what we truly need. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'll look at all of these locations right now filled with scrawny little five-year-old kids. We try to puff ourselves up. We try to make ourselves look stronger than we really are, but the fact is we're just guilty, needy, hungry, thirsty. Some of us feel abandoned, abused. Some of us look to you and we don't feel like we're being treated fairly. I pray, Father, instead that we will embrace the unfairness of the incredible gospel and the grace it bestows for little children like us. And then we would reflect that to a world who needs it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.